Um, I have to tell you that I'm really kind of at my worst on nights like tonight. Um, I'm at my worst because I'm, I'm going to be in controversy, and um, I'm going to take you in there with me. And um, I find that sometimes in the midst of this controversy, I, I'm, um, I say things that I wish I hadn't have said um, because I get wrought up in the midst of the controversy. Uh, so... If you're here for the first time, I, I, um, I want to tell you uh, there's just great riches and great wonder in the scriptures that we, we love this book. Um, but it does mean sometimes that we have to um, draw some distinct lines. And um, that's what's going to happen tonight. Uh, there's going to be a, uh, a pretty distinct line drawn. But I, I'm telling you, if you know anything about the Christian gospel, you're going to want this line drawn. Now you might not, you might not want to draw it as uh, as passionately as I'm going to draw it, and I'll I'll try to back off some, because I I don't want you to um, miss the point because you're marveling at that nincompoop up there with the microphone on. Um, so I'll I'll try to um, keep myself uh, under wraps, um, but uh, the the point uh, still exists, and we'll hopefully see it. The text under uh, examination tonight is verse 5 of Romans 9. Um, uh, if you will... Um, um, uh, oh, there it is. Um, guys, um, I, I'm putting it up here for you. I know most of you have your Bibles, but you're going to understand why I, want you to, why I wanted to have it up there, because we're, we're just going to kind of break this little text down... Um, but there it is. That's in my translation. Now, guys, uh, the men of this church gave me this book uh, or this, this version. This is the, um, the English Standard Version, and that's what that is. The English Standard Version uh, gave me this, and, and I've enjoyed it, and, but that's why I'm using it. I just want you to know uh, there's nothing particularly special about the English Standard Version versus a lot of the ones that you have. Um, but you'll see that there is something special about it compared to one in particular. We'll see that in a minute. But there's the text. Um, you can mark up your Bibles or you can watch that. But uh, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Now, guys, uh, just to get you um, running along with me, this is verse 5, of course, is connected to verse 4, where which is connected to verse 3, where Paul says, I wish that I myself were accursed. I mean, if it would work, I would, I mean, if it meant anything, I would have myself accursed for my kinsmen according to the flesh. That is the Jews. If it, if it, if it meant that they could be delivered, I, I mean, I'd sacrifice, of course it won't, uh, Paul understands, but if it would, I would do it. He is gripped, uh, overcome with grief at the, um, the spiritual condition of the kinsmen according to the flesh, which is Judaism. And so, he then begins to show you why his grief is so large in verse 4 by saying, they're Israelites. You know, to them belong the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the worship and the promises. And, and what he's saying is they're, they're in possession of such enormously wonderful advantages, which, which makes my grief bigger, says Paul. I mean, they had so much going for them and they just wasted it. And then, then he continues, and by the way, we've gone over each one of those in, in, uh, in, in previous weeks. He comes to verse 5 and he says, and then belong with the patriarchs. 
And that's where we looked last week. I mean, the, the, the fathers of the faith, the heroes of Israel. Uh, I mean, they've forgotten. I mean, they remember their names, but they have forgotten their faith. That is, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and Joseph and all these guys that we celebrate their memory, but uh, we don't celebrate their faith. And, oh, yeah, Moses is a hero, but we don't have the same faith that Moses has got. So that's what Paul is doing. He's just trying to describe why he's so grieved at the spiritual condition of Judaism. The climax of that little list, or the apex of that little list, comes in verse 5, where he says, you know, to them belong the patriarchs, and, here's the final one, the final in that list of eight, I think there were, to them belong, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. The, 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 the crowning, uh, the crowning uh, item on his list is the fact that of all the privileges enjoyed by Israel, this was the ultimate privilege. The Messiah. The Messiah was a Jew. Um, and yet, this is the very thing that they had missed. All of those previous advantages lead up to this big one. The Messiah came from Israel. But it didn't make any difference. They still missed him. So, having said that, we're introduced, of course, to the, to the, uh, to the Messiah identified as Christ. Now, guys, there is a huge controversy over the last clause of verse 5. Um, I say to you, there is more written, there's more ink been spilled about the last clause of verse 5 than any other single verse in the New Testament. Now, I could skip it. I could, uh, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not a widely known controversy in, in Southern evangelicalism. It may, I mean, it, it, <laughs> maybe it should, have, should be, but I don't think many of you are aware of the controversy contained in that, in that clause, but I'm going to show it to you. Um, and, and maybe, maybe in the name of sweetness, we should just skip it. And, you know, nobody's troubled by it here. Let's just move on. And, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that I did consider that. I did consider just, you know, it's, I don't think a lot of people know what's in there. So, you know, what the, what the heck? Um, don't be, um, so partisan. Um, but guys, uh, I couldn't do that. And I, and I think you'll understand by the time I'm finished. This is way, way, way. It's not just the, the fact that there's been so much written that, gosh, I want to jump in on the fray. Uh, it's that the issues that are at stake here are just too incredibly important to ignore. So let me, let me get us to that, but let me do something first. Um, I, I will tell you that at the center of the controversy um, is the Bible. But not just everybody. Um, I don't know about you. I don't know your background. But I was raised on this Bible. I don't think this was the very one I was raised on. But um, I've read you from the English Standard Version. Um, the controversy has been caused by this one. The Revised Standard Version. The RSV, very popular in the 50s and the 60s and even the 70s. It's kind of lost its, its hold on the Christian audience because of all the newer translations like the NIV and the New King James and all that business. 
But um, back when I was a child, um, in the 50s and 60s, there were only two translations. There was the King James and the RSV. And uh, I was raised on the RSV. Uh, at the center of the controversy is this edition, this translation of the Bible. Uh, also, a man whose name is who's associated with this controversy is a man that some of you know. His name is William Barclay. Um, I think uh, I had somebody even tell me that they had some of his commentaries in their in their library. Um, I have to tell you, my mother used to study William Barclay with some degree of devotion. Um, and I and I again I. I, I, I think some of you would probably say, well, why do you have to mention names? Well, because uh, some of you have been exposed to the commentaries of William Barclay. And he is at the center. Uh, he's, a, he's a Brit, uh, a, a very wonderful linguist. Um, he is a, an avowed uh, higher critic. Now, guys, um, I, I, don't, I don't know that you know what that word means, but... Um, 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 yeah, I need this one now. Sorry. Um, oh, you know, do I need to hit it again? Oh, I got it, yeah. Um, higher critic. Um, there is uh, our criticism versus textual criticism. Dang, this is a science that is very valuable to us. Um, uh, Textual criticism is a is a uh, a study of oh just a lot of things uh, having primarily to do with the incredible number of papyri and uh, texts that are available from uh, from the ancient past um, you know copies of this and copies of that etc. That's what textual criticism is. Higher criticism is an altogether different animal. Higher criticism uh, is, I mean, if you've ever heard of the JEDP uh, um, approach or explanation of the Old Testament, um, higher criticism is like uh, the Jesus Seminar that's, uh, you know, traveling the country even presently. That, that, that's, a, that's a board full of higher critics. Well, William Barclay is an avowed higher critic. He is a universalist. You know what universalism is? Universalism is, is basically saying that everybody is going to end up in heaven eventually, and all we need to do is go tell them that. And I would also add that he, um, he has a view of the atonement that none of you would be comfortable with. And yet we read his commentaries. Or at least my family did. Now, um, I, I, want you to, um, I want you to look at your text. Of, um, uh, just stay with the board. Um, um, that's Romans 9, 5. Um, all right. <laughs> to, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. Okay. So Christ is introduced to you. Now notice the clause that comes after it. Uh, from, from Judaism came the Christ, who is God overall. Blessed forever. Amen. Now, gang, that's a very good translation. Uh, if you've got the NIV, you've got the New King James, you've got a King James, your translations are going to differ a bit, but we're going to look at that in a minute. But the English Standard is a very good translation, um, uh, and it's a correct one. It's a correct translation. 
Uh, and there are, there are, uh, textual, there are contextual, there are linguistic, there are doctrinal, there are historical reasons for me to say to you that that is a very good rendering of the Greek text. Uh, but I want you to notice what it does. Now, now guys, you, you cannot afford to gloss over words like these. Look. Who is the, um, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Now, what, according to that translation, did Paul just do? What he did is he ascribed deity to Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That is, he... He, uh, he, he describes Jesus as being God. Look, look, look at the text. Uh, is the Christ who is God over all. Do you see that? Um, guys, this text has four things in it. Four very important things. First of all, it has, um, well, it has his deity. Um, do you see how I got that out of the text? This isn't going to be important, ladies and gentlemen, in about 15 minutes. Um, uh, the Christ came... I mean, you know, um, no, coming from their race is the Christ. Who is God? Do you see what the text did? It, it says that Jesus Christ is divine. That's what the word deity means. It is ascribing deity... To Jesus Christ. The second thing that's in the text is his humanity. Now, guys, um, I've, I've said this in this room before, that if, if it comes down to me trying to prove one of these two things, this is harder for me to prove than that. I mean, the Jehovah's Witness don't believe that Jesus is, Christ, is God, but there, is a, there was a cult called docetism. Uh, it comes from the Greek word uh, dokeo which um, means to appear or to seem. That is, docetism says that he only appeared human. Because what they can't do, what, what the docetists cannot do, is figure out how they could be, that how one person could be both God and man. But here's a text that tells you of his humanity, that he came from Judaism, his humanity, who is God, his deity. You see both of those things in the text. The third thing that it says in there, or describes in there, is his supremacy. That is, he is God over all. Do you see that in the text? Um, he is God over all. And then, the last thing that, that I think you can derive from that text, who is blessed forever, amen. Paul engages in worship of him. That is, he is the proper object of worship. Those four things are in that text. His deity, his humanity, his supremacy, and that he is the proper object of our worship. He is blessed forever, amen. And do you see that? That's in that text. Now, um, if we could go to the... Um, the other thing now. Um, are we ready? Um, 
Okay. Now, guys, stay with me. My, my translation is in the red. You see that? Now, underneath that is the NIV. How many of you have an NIV in here? Raise your hands. Oh, i got all these NIVs. Now, notice what the NIV does. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised, amen. Now, that's a different way of saying it, isn't it? But is there any difference in that? Do you see any difference in that? I don't. <laughs> I mean, it, um, you see his human ancestry. You see the comma, uh, uh, the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all. There's his deity. Um, he is a God over all. There's his supremacy. And then forever praised amen. There's the worship. It's all in that NIV passage. NIV text. See that? That's NIV. Anybody got a New Living Translation in here? Oh, we got one. How about that? We got two. New Living Translation. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God. The one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. I'm in. Now, guys, that's not as common as the NIV, but do you see anything different in that translation? It just mentions the patriarchs, which is not in the Greek text. I mean, those names, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that is not in the Greek text. But, I mean, it's, they haven't done any damage to the text. The, 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 the Greek text has the word patriarch in it. They're just giving you some names, um, which I'm uncomfortable in doing, but, but, it, but it, doesn't, it doesn't damage the text at all. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. There's the patriarchs. And Christ himself came from Israelites, as far as his human nature is concerned. So they're all four of those things. There it is. There's his human, his humanity. And he is God. There's his deity, the one who rules over everything. There's his supremacy. And he's worthy of eternal praise. I mean, there's the worship. Okay? Different way of saying it. Different, uh, there's, there's, there's a, there's a greater looseness to that translation. It's not as rigidly uh, tied to the Greek text as the English standard is, or the NIV. But it's accurate. No damage done by that text. There's the King James. How many of you got King James Bibles in here? Oh, good. We've got, we've got some real Christians. Um, I mean, if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for us, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it wasn't Paul, I promise. Um, all right. King James. Whose are the fathers? There's the ancestor's word. And of whom are concerning the flesh Christ came. There it is. Who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. Same things. All four elements. They're all there. That's the King James Bible. Um... There's his humanity, flesh, who is over all, I mean, uh, uh, God, there's his deity, who is over all, his supremacy, uh, God bless forever, who is over, well, you don't see the, the worship is clear in there, but I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fair and non-damaging text. The New King James. How many of you have New King James? Just a couple? Gosh, I used to love the New King James. Uh, all right, look at there. Of whom are the fathers, there's the patriarch's word, and from whom, according to the flesh, 
There's his humanity. Christ came, who is overall the eternally blessed God. There's his humanity. Here's his supremacy. There's his um, uh, deity. Eternally blessed worship. It's all there. Are you ready for this? Watch this. To them belong the patriarchs. And of their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. Period. Do you see that period in there, ladies and gentlemen? God, who is over all, is blessed forever. Amen. What have they done? What? They did what? Separated who from who? So what is this translation claiming? What? Lord Sarah, Sonia said again. Christ is not God. I can't pass that up. I can't ignore that, ladies and gentlemen, and say, well, we don't know about the controversy here. Let's just move on with the text. Ladies and gentlemen, first of all, do you understand that in the Greek New Testament, there is no punctuation? There are no periods. There are no commas. There are no question marks, no exclamation points. None of that. It doesn't exist in the text. In fact, when they separated words, they separated them with, a, with what looks like a V. It's called a new. It's called an N or a new in the Greek language. But they would have 20 different words and they'd have... The news separating the words. They, and and, and the, the text moved right on and, and the sentences weren't separated. And Now, translating that was kind of difficult. Breaking up into verses, uh, that's, uh, that was kind of difficult. But ladies and gentlemen, this is not translation. This is an agenda. This is telling you... These guys have inserted... A piece of blasphemy into that text by simply putting a period in there. Every translation in this room faithfully renders that Jesus Christ is God, being true to what Paul was trying to do, ascribing deity to the second person of the Trinity. This one, through the leadership of William Barclay, inserts a period. And by having done so, has told you that this Christ is not God. That Christ and God are separate. And that one on that side of the period, he ain't the God. The one on this side of the period is. Do you see that? How many of you were raised on the Revised Standard? How many of you have William Barclay? Ladies and gentlemen, this is not small potatoes. This is an assault on the very heart of the Christian gospel. I told you that he had a view of the atonement that you wouldn't like. You don't even, I mean, it's, it's so convoluted. But it's not the one that you believe. And yet, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, there is a major denomination whose name I will not mention that absolutely idolizes William Barclay. And Barclay, I'm telling you, is a very skilled and brilliant linguist. 
And I'll tell you this, he's a very skilled theologian as well. He's not a good one, but he's skilled. And his skill becomes apparent in a simple period. You know, so why do you get all hot and bothered about little bitty tiny things? I mean, it's only a period. I mean, why don't you just, you know, love? You know, and I don't mean to make fun of, I, I guess I did make fun of it, but um, I, I, it is important that Christians love. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, when, when we, when, do you know what's behind those louvered shutters over there? Does everybody know what's behind those louvered shutters? That's called a baptismal, and I don't agree with it. I don't, I don't, I don't that's not my position, but it's Jeff's. We're never going to get in here and talk about stuff like that. I mean, you know, guys, there's this wonderful, I think it's from Augustine, aphorism, where he says, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. You know, I'm not trying to pick at minors, ladies and gentlemen. The deity of Jesus, deity of Jesus, the deity of Jesus Christ is not a minor. It's a major. Destroy that, and we have no redemption. I'm reading a book that I, I'm not, I hope you won't read and I, I don't want you to get, but I mean, I'm telling you, the, the guy I'm convinced is a sweet brother, I think, I think, I'm, I'm next to positive, but he wants to cast all kinds of doubt over the virgin birth. He wants you to just act like it's really not very important. Because there's all kinds of things that, questions that you might have. Yeah, there are. There is a lot of debate about the virgin birth. Yeah, there is. But ladies and gentlemen, do you understand if you give up on the virgin birth what you've given up on? Do you know what's at stake in a discussion of the virgin birth? If Jesus was not virgin born, then he is a, a, he's a sinner. And he can't save you. Another, I mean, so guys, I, I'm not. I don't want to quibble, just to quibble. This is heresy. Heresy that found its way into a Bible. That was the f- most frequented Bible in the church where I was raised. The translation of which was headed... By the way, William Barclay puts that very translation in his commentary on Romans. That one. That one. Because that's the one he likes. Because he doesn't like any discussions about the deity of Jesus Christ. That's why so much ink has been spilled over that last clause. Because the question is... Is Jesus Christ God? If he isn't, you need to burn your Bibles and don't come back here next week. Because there's no redemption for sinners like us. I thought you needed to see that. All right, let me, I've got about four minutes. Let me, let me, um, let me just kind of summarize verses 4 and 5. And, and I'm not including the controversy in my summary. I'm just simply saying what Paul 
the, the implication of what Paul is saying is that in spite of all these advantages, in spite of all of these privileges, I think there were eight of them, the vast majority of Israel was still violently anti-Christian. And that grieves him enormously. Now let me make two observations about that and we're done. Guys, first of all, I would not have you to miss that there are great advantages uh, even to the outward forms of revealed religion. By that I mean this. There is an advantage to be had simply by being close to the forms. For instance, um, your kids were born in a Christian home. I mean, that's, that's a real advantage. Getting your kids in vacation Bible school. That's a real, even though it's an outward form, there is still benefit to be derived. So we must not make light of those things. Paul is saying, look at all this advantage that was wasted. Well, you know, there's a lot of advantage here too. There is an advantage that is not to be ignored. Um, even if we're only talking about an exposure to the outward forms of Christianity. Now, having said that, don't miss this. Advantages will never save anybody. Form guarantees nothing. Because I said that somebody from the pulpit. I told you about a view of the Lord's Supper that was called Ex Operato. And a large branch of Christendom, uh, that's, their, that's their position. And what it says is the grace is contained in the symbols themselves. And so grace is always conferred automatically on every receiver of these symbols. That is to say that simply go through the form and you'll be fine. I'm saying that form, mere form, guarantees nothing. Do everything correctly and leave Christ out of it and you'll be lost. The Apostle Paul is the classic illustration of someone having made that decision, having made that mistake. I mean, he, he had all the forms down and it was lifeless. It was empty. Um... I would even go so far as to say this. The advantages, the outward forms, the advantages, the privileges, apart from Christ, are downright liabilities. Gang, the South, that is where we live, the Bible Belt South, is plagued by a nominal Christianity. That is a Christianity that has all the forms right but is empty. You know, I love, to, I, I love to talk about the parable of the prodigal son because, you know, in all honesty, if you didn't have anything else in the Bible, just about all you'd need is the parable of the prodigal son. If you get that thing down, you're, 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 it's, uh, you've got a lot. But, you know, there's that elder brother, elder brother who did everything right, and he was further from the father than the prodigal. Because you get all... You get all the forms right, apart from Christ. You get all the you do everything correctly, and then you begin to build up this this opinion 
that God now owes me. Didn't I slave away while he was over in the faraway city? I mean, where is my fatted calf? You owe me, Father. I've been doing everything right for all these years, and now <laughs> you owe me. I'm telling you, the South is full of that. Of a, a formalized, nominal Christianity that has a lot of the form down pat but is absent of Jesus Christ. I close with this, guys. Uh, oh, um, to miss out on Jesus Christ is even more tragic today than it was in the days of Paul. I don't know, I don't know that I have a right to say that, but I'm going to say it anyway. To miss out on a, on, on a relationship with Jesus Christ is more tragic today than it was when Paul wrote this. And the reason that I say that is, guys... The gospel has been so widely preached among us. Maybe I'm just talking about the United States, but the gospel has been so widely preached and so ably defended. And all that advantage to end up without a relationship with Christ is to bring great sorrow and deep, unceasing anguish in my heart for you. You have a lot of advantage. We have a lot of advantage, guys. Don't miss the cornerstone of everything. Jesus Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever, Our Father, I thank you for the great privilege that is mine to, to discuss these things with people that I care about. And, and I pray that you will um, use what's been said tonight to, to alert us and to make us more discerning than, than perhaps we've been in the past. And I pray, O oh God, that uh, the, the outcome of this will not be a, a stuffed head but an empty heart. I pray that this information might not make us less interested in lost men, but might make us more. Might make us more grieved that people can live in a country like this, live in a city like this with huge churches on every corner and still miss out. And yet, thinking all the while that everything is fine with their soul. Oh God, use Gracie Van to point people to the existence of an elder brother religion that is absolutely empty of meaning and value and yet has all the forms down correctly. Use Grace Evan, Father, and other churches in this city to make that very clear to uh, an audience that... Um, is important to us. This city is important to us, Lord, as well as this world, and I pray that you will use us to make this message very clear. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.